Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. All right, everyone, welcome back. We are continuing along. I'm going to do what I can to continue to give the Coles notes here, although (laughs) the more I dive in, the more I kind of go down the rabbit hole, but let's try to keep this to the point. So in this chapter, we're talking about the individual's understanding of himself. And funnily enough, Jung starts with man being an enigma to himself, which is a riddle and inexplicable kind of puzzle, ambiguous. And his argumentation is that it's because he lacks the means of comparison necessary for self-knowledge because he's unique on earth. Can't compare himself to other animals because of the psyche because humans have the psyche and he posits that humans need quasi-human mammals or that aliens from other stars could be that comparison. And and we do see that, don't we, in the public kind of discourse, people wanting aliens that kind of are smarter than humans to compare themselves to. It's interesting. Aliens are always kind of smarter, more advanced technologically than humans in most movies. It's not like a (laughs) bacterial strain or, you know, animal or fish, it's always kind of this humanoid type thing. So anyways, that's interesting. But he says that the psyche is an insolvable puzzle, incomprehensible wonder, it's perplexing, like all of nature's secrets. What's interesting, though, is to me, at least if it's this, you know, this puzzle, um, really, our human nature seeks for us to, well, finish the puzzle, right? Put together all the pieces, understand every single nook and cranny. And yet, I wonder if the whole idea of it being this unsolvable riddle or puzzle is, well, there is meant to be a secret component. There's meant to be a piece that's under the surface that we don't particularly understand in its entirety. Because if we did, if we put together the whole puzzle, similar to how children, when they finish a game, right, it's like, okay, it's not fun anymore. And so if it is this vast, inexplicable kind of ever-changing or just vast, network under the surface in our minds that we can't map every single nook and cranny out then well maybe that's the whole point of it you know what I mean because if we know our conscious minds and we understand what we're thinking consciously most of the time at least then we do need that kind of polarity of this under the surface part that we don't at least that's just a question I'd put to you right is it do we need to understand all parts of the psyche can we have this incomprehensible wonder and secret that we look at sort of mystified um something to consider so um he says psychology the newest science needed to be freed from mythological ideas mere biochemical processes of the brain and unapproachable hidden matter so the psyche is a phenomenon of consciousness of the individual it's a precondition of being everything exists in the conscious individual is only immediate manifest of psyche so he continues to go on back to the church says that that with the church the individual is egotistical or full of pride if we focus on the level of the individual and science sees the individual as a statistic which we've heard in previous episodes already right he goes on to say that with christians jesus is the human embodiment of god and so individuation is the incarnation and revelation of god is his point and that the attention to external 
and that the attention to the external blocks the inner experience the devaluation of the psyche and psychological enlightenment was resisted because of fear of what we might find right kind of think of the dark dark ocean you don't want to go in there it seems scary um freud's argumentation had things to do with the unconscious harboring many things resembling the occult and as we see jung goes into the unconscious mind right when it comes to dreams and analyzing the symbolism of dreams scientific psychology studies individual with a focus of better knowledge and he talks about psychologists and how the doctor needs to come up with a diagnosis to understand the individual nature amidst well a lot of uncertainty and we see this with doctors we see this in any relationship where we need to diagnose a situation we have to come up with an answer without all the information at hand because you will never have all of it and i guess that's another kind of thing to say similar to the the unconscious mind or this part of the psyche that's underneath the surface it's like you'll never really know everything you just can't and there there's got to be an acceptance at least again this is my interpretation here i'll be careful to share when it's me or when it's him <laughs> um, or let's say my interpretation of him because obviously i'm not him and i i even reading his writing doesn't mean that i fully get where he's coming from so read the book to get as close to jung's argument or thoughts as possible um but the idea here is interesting because he speaks of the doctor patient relationship and needing to carefully balance the two and not enmesh the two and we've talked multiple times about how he's talking about the individual versus the collective but here we're seeing an example from jung where it's two people it's a pair it's not this big collective it's not society it's not the church it's not the state it's not an organization it's you know it's not hundreds of individuals or thousands or even 40 50 we're, we're talking two and he says even in this relationship of the doctor and patient the doctor is to be careful not to enmesh themselves with the individual patient because then we lose the individual once again so even with two people need to be very very careful because the psychic situation is inundated by ads propaganda and advice and the the doctor patient relationship is meant to be a space for no shoulds or musts and what that does is allows the client to stand on their own two feet and acquire a certainty of judgment act on their own insights and decisions and we certainly see this in coaching it's a similar premise of you know i have to <laughs> hold myself back from telling people what to do all the time because I think I know better. And I mean, but who am I, right? I see what I do see is patterns. And so that's, what's interesting, right? Is I see patterns of what individuals go through, but this argument here is okay. There are patterns, but you have to be careful about your diagnosis as let's say the person giving the diagnosis in a situation. And the best thing you can do is not give the musts and the shoulds, but rather convey the information, let's say, or hold a space for the person and be very, very careful not to enmesh yourself. And you enmesh yourself as a coach and therapist at the very least by deciding you know what they should do. And then the individual is able to advocate abdicate their responsibility, right? They're able to advocate abdicate their responsibility for themselves because, well, my therapist told me to do it. And we talked about this in the last episode. Remember, anytime somebody is taking on your responsibility for yourself and saying, don't worry, here's how to do it, or I'll take care of it. Right. And advice is something like that. When someone says, here's what you should do. 
they are taking your individual responsibility. Now, of course, as the individual getting the advice, if someone in your family or your friend or a professional is giving you advice, you can decide what you do with that, right? You can decide how much of that you take in. That's up to you, of course. And there can be some advice that's really useful. But his point is just to say, be careful by how much advice, ads, and propaganda you are you know, inundated by in the course of the day. And we know this, right? We know that People on average see, I don't even know what the number is these days, used to be at least 500. Um, But now who knows with social media use, um, but you see all kinds of ads and things just trying to get your attention. So just being careful because he posits that the banding together into groups is the extinction of the individual. So it makes it succumb so readily to a dictator. Interestingly enough, um, a group in this case, can even be two people. And so even when we think about marriage, marriage is meant to be one plus one equals one, you know, the unity and the unification of two becoming into one body um, through this really spiritual connection that takes place when two people merge bodies, minds, souls, in a sense, or at least that's that's kind of the discussion that goes on in the church as you become one. Um, that can be dangerous. He says, he doesn't mention marriage. I'm just showing up a parallel here, putting up a parallel, but there's blindness in this, blindness in this regard is dangerous, he says, and the well-disciplined mob in the hands of a single madman is also problematic as we know. So you need to really be careful, is his point, about advice, shoulds, who you take those from, if you take them at all, and not relegating your personal duty of responsibility to others that give you this advice. Can't blame your therapist for making you go the wrong way. The therapist relationship is meant to help you stand on your own two feet and bolster your own individual judgment, as should all relationships in some regard, right? They should bolster you as the individual. He goes on to talk about the church and their real task is metanoia, the rebirth of the spirit. He talks about the individual's relationship to God being an effective shield against mass suggestion, which we've talked about. And he brings up Jesus and Paul, who were prototypes of those trusting their individual way, disregarding public opinion. And we see what happens when you disregard public opinion, right, in any way, shape, or form, even if it's just your family. I, I work with a lot of moms. And, you know, when they disregard their mother-in-laws or mother or husband, or there's all this advice, right? Again, all this advice, propaganda, all these ads coming at you. And when you kind of disregard the public opinion and go your own way, I get that that's hard. Um, And what he's saying is that your relationship to God is an effective shield against that propaganda, those ads, and the advice that you get, because you get to go inward and you get to, well, reckon with God and, and, you get that in, internal knowing that shields you against any mass suggestion. You know what's right for you. You get that sense, right, of what's right. And and that's that's powerful because no matter what someone's telling you is right, and I'm sure you've had situations. I can think of situations where people have sort of pressured me into decisions that I didn't want to make. And if I had had a better relationship to God, I'm, I'm 100% certain I would have had a bit more spaciousness to, to say, yeah, this isn't really right for me. So, um, these, these people, these characters from the Bible, Jesus and Paul, he's saying are these prototypes of those trusting their individual way. And 
we should follow them. We should follow that idea of disregarding public opinion and going the way that we know is right. Um, and then he keeps on to say, inner man remains unchanged, however much community he has. His environment cannot give him the gift one for himself through effort and suffering. So it's interesting because we we do things like we support certain sports teams where certain brands have, you know, this certain kind of external persona or community membership let's say like i'm a you know fill in the blank whatever accountant or soccer player or and we have seen this with athletes where they attach their whole sense of self to a sport or to a certain community and that's not entirely bad but it doesn't make you who you are so we need i believe this is not what he says this is me again (laughs) I believe that we need community and a sense of belonging, but he's saying that the inner man remains unchanged. So no matter which communities you're a part of, you have, you cannot, that your environment will not give you the gift that you win for yourself through effort and suffering, through this idea of taking responsibility for your efforts in your life and what you give to it and the duty of responsibility of for your life. You cannot, no environment will give you that gift that you win for yourself. And this is so true. I mean, I've traveled the whole world early, you know, not the whole world. I've traveled a lot. Um, actually, the more I see, the more I realize I haven't traveled much at all because I mean, there's, there are continents I haven't even explored. So who am I to say I've traveled the whole world, but I've traveled a lot. And, you know, in going to all these places, he's absolutely right that your physical environment, while it can be more pleasing to the senses, does not give you the same satisfaction as achievement through effort and suffering what you get from hard work and a favorable environment strengthens the tendency to expect this to things to originate from outside again so you live in this beautiful beach location you think you're going to be in paradise because you live by the water maybe i'm talking about myself would love to live on the beach <laughs> but it's a tendency to expect things to originate from outside of you. And his whole argumentation here is to say, hang on a minute, you have to bring it in from inside, have the relationship to God, have the internal relationship and from that draw forth and bring out of you, not bring in. And he now talks about the childlike state, um, irresponsible, happy-go-lucky, all thinking done from from the top, more power to social authority, weaker, helpless individual. So we see this, right? We talked about this, people that are not willing to take responsibility, people that hand over their power to the state. He says the road to tyranny is open, the freedom individual um, does not equal spiritual or physical slavery. So you have an issue when you are weak and helpless. And you give all your power to social authorities and all of your thinking is done from the top and you're irresponsible and happy-go-lucky. And that's what happens with these hedonistic societies in a sense, right? You don't have to have any responsibilities. You can be happy-go-lucky and we'll take on everything for you. That makes you weak. And he really doesn't want that for us. Resistance only when individual well-being or... Resistance is only when the individual well being is organized in his individuality 
Instincts attach him to Macro while tearing him apart. Desires pull him in different directions. Continual conflict with himself, rarely his undivided goal, pays by repressing other sides of his nature. So, individual and dissociated state needs directing, ordering principle. Ego consciousness only will to play this role, but overlooks powerful unconscious factors that thwart its intentions. So, to reach the goal of synthesis, to experience the nature of these factors of the unconscious or symbols that express themselves that conduce to synthesis, religious symbols could work. Our interpretation of Christianity has become antiquated in present world. Christian symbol is developing, requires meditation on Christian premises. Whoa. So he's talking here about how we need to be to synthesize our goals, we need to get out of a dissociated state. There are unconscious factors that thwart the intentions of the conscious mind of the ego, right? The ego that wants to play out the role of this ordering principle, right? Order. We want to understand everything. We want order in everything. We have these goals. The ego is working toward these goals, but then we all face unconscious setbacks don't we regularly and we wonder what happened and why did i get sick and why did this happen and why did i have these roadblocks and yes you can absolutely move through these blocks right there are people that just through sheer will push through things but you can push and push and push if something is really not if something is really not aligned for you no matter how hard you push it won't work right and your intentions will be thwarted. And so the idea is to reach the goal of synthesis is to experience the nature of the factors of the unconscious or the symbols that express them, the symbols that express the factors of the unconscious mind. Again, we need to experience the nature of the unconscious mind. And Jung does this right through the interpretation of dreams. He's saying that we can also do it through the interpretation of Christian symbols Um he puts on one side politics, science, and technology, um, and on the other side, arguments are highest degree of intellectual certainty, yet they are achieved by the mind of man. So there's limit in thinking. We forget that what is impossible today could be possible tomorrow. We see this, right? We see this with science, where this is the current scientific truth. This is impossible right now. Well, but hang on a second, right? Just because something hasn't been proven, just because the world was flat and now we say it's round and just because we didn't know what was in the sky and now we see stars in different constellations, just because we don't know it today and it's impossible today does not mean that it could be, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible tomorrow. All right, we're almost there. So the understanding of religion is distinct due to lack of explanations. Religious impulse lies on instinctive basis. Human fate. Interesting, he mentions demonic energy here. He talks about money, work, political influence, natural human loss, the disturbance of results, disturbance results, neuroticism, dissociation of personality like iron curtain barbed wire line in psyche of man so okay so here we talk about how 
Essentially, the man of today can easily think about and understand all the truth dis- truths dished out to him by the state, but understanding of religion is made considerably more difficult owing to the lack of explanations. So the idea is that we need to understand better the symbolism of religion, I think. And and he says, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Acts 8.30. So when any natural human function gets lost, that is, is denied conscious and intentional expression, a general disturbance results. The leaders of the mass state cannot avoid being deified and whatever crudités of this kind have not yet been put over by force. Obsessive factors rise in their stead, cha- charged with demonic energy. For instance, money, work, political influence, and so forth. So, it's quite natural that with the triumph of the goddess of Aridism, a general neuroticism, neuroticizing of modern man should set in. So, he's saying that we're split and that the neurotic is unconscious of his shadow side. The individual, like the neurotic, sees his shadow in his neighbor or in the man beyond the great divide. So we like to put the shadow elsewhere, outside of ourselves, so that we don't have to live with it. <laughs> Questions of the intimate individual as a product of the zeitgeist. Neurotic, infantile fantasies repressed by moral judgment. The activation of unconscious fantasies occurs when consciousness finds itself in Critical situation. Neurosis is childhood fantasy reappears. It emanates from parents. Poisonous atmospheres producing conflicts of upset and upsets the balance of the child. So the instinct is original, hereditary, age-old, archetypal, even older and more conservative than body's form need to remold archetypal forms into ideas that are adequate to challenge the challenges of the present. Their form is an image. And he gives an example of the yucca moth, knows to, knows to fertilize and recognize its total situation, attuned to definite adaptations. So here he's talking about how essentially... The West and the East are divided, so are the conscious and unconscious minds, and there's this threshold, and we like to put the shadow onto others, the evils of the world onto others, and he, he goes into this idea of our, well, <laughs> our questions in our own minds being a product of the zeitgeist of the times around us, and that there are these repressed moral judgments, repressed fantasies, infantile fantasies. Um, and it's when the conscious is in a critical situation. And it comes from when we were children. So this part, I don't know what to make of it in the context of the bigger picture of this chapter, to be completely frank with you, other than we have this instinct of these archetypal forms that come up in our, well, dreams from his perspective and need, he doesn't say this in this book, but that's what he does, right? Is analyze dreams. Um and so we need to remold archetypal forms into ideas that are adequate to the challenges of the present. Their form is an image, these instincts that we have, right? And we have these fantasies, these childhood repressed fantasies that can emanate from these difficult situations that upset the balance of our earth and the child. They can come back up into 
adulthood, it seems to be, and that these instincts are age old and archetypal. So they're not just ours. They're kind of these themes that come up through the times and will continue, but we need forms, archetypal forms that are ideas that are, that make sense for the times. Um, and so earlier he was talking about Christian symbols and perhaps he has an idea of, you know, something that could be better, which seems to be what he does with dreams, right? I mean, he's not saying it here, but I think, I think he thinks that dreams are, are the answer based on what he does. Because at the end of this chapter, he essentially says, if the flow of instinctive dynamism into our life is to be maintained as is absolutely necessary for our existence, then it is imperative that we remold those archetypal forms into ideas which are adequate to the challenge of the present. And that's the end of the chapter. And this chapter is all about, as we talked about, right, the individual's understanding of himself. So how do you understand yourself? Well, you need to understand your, your core instincts and these imaginations or these infantile tendencies that you have that you want but you morally repress and that these symbols will come through and that essentially you'll have these impulses and they're instinctual and that we need to understand them well we need to understand them and we need to understand our own nature through the adaptation of the primordial patterns of ideas that were given us a priori, a priori. So essentially there are these underpinnings of the unconscious that will never go away, that there are these ideas that keep bubbling up throughout all the generations and they're archetypal, which is saying that they're age old, right? That they're these hereditary kind of ideas and instincts that we have as human beings and that they won't go away but what we need to do is modify them we need to modify these images these archetypes so that they make sense for our environments but that to understand ourselves we need to understand these archetypal these age-old instincts that we have as a member of the animal kingdom and so well isn't that interesting because sort of like if you understand yourself you understand humans across all time and all space because of the fact that there are these kind of deep under underpinnings of our minds and the unconscious mind and these fantasies and the archetypes, these instincts of humans that continue throughout time and the symbols of them change, but the instincts remain the same. And so how interesting, what an interesting way to kind of tie yourself to, you know, the past um, yeah, which if you ever worked with a Jungian analyst, I mean, it's all about the symbols. It's all about the archetypes. And so he's setting himself up there in a sense, I think, to say how he goes about understanding the individual self, which is through understanding these instincts that interestingly enough are age old. So, hey, you're a puzzle. You're difficult to understand. You might not understand yourself. Um, Ever, but you can tap into this instinctual transcending time set of archetypes and images that come to you via your dreams, which he doesn't really mention in this chapter, but that is where he does his work. And um, you can maybe tap into some of these ideas that are under the surface for you.
So of course, if you want to work with someone on that, uh, I am not a Jungian analyst, but certainly there are many out there. You can look one up or you can read this book. Um, it's linked in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this series and me meandering through this, these ideas that are complex at best, um, I would really love it if you left a review. I'd love it if you subscribe to the show or share this with somebody that you think would be interested because that's exactly how this show continues to spread to interested individuals. So please do share. Thank you for listening and taking the time. And I'll see you in the next episode where we talk chapter five. Um, what is chapter five? Chapter five is the psycho philosophical and the psychological approach to life. So it'll be a good one. Hope to see you there and take good care until next time.